Well, good morning again. Grab a seat. It's good to see everybody. Uh, as, our, as our group mentioned, we had a, a really fun, obviously tiring week of kids camp, but it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of kids from the community, a lot of kids from our church that participated in our big theme this year, obviously inspired by uh, the world champion Eagles, was underdogs. And, uh, and so we enjoyed that. And so throughout the week, uh, the kids were looking at different stories from Scripture related dif- to different underdogs. And so we're going to continue that theme today in just a moment. But I want to point out this, um, this pulpit decoration that Mr. Josh put together. And he said, the, the main reason I'm putting this together is so I get to see you preach from this on Sunday. So there we are. I also saw Vanessa carrying a, uh, a couple armloads of candy downstairs to get your children wired up. That candy has been in my office all week. And uh, it's kind of interesting when when uh, one of the mothers of the church, Vanessa, she put it in there, looked at me early in the week, and she said, this is for the kids. This doesn't go in your mouth. Do you understand? She doesn't know because she's downstairs, but I did sneak one. But there was enough. So, But uh, again, throughout the course of the week, the kids were looking at different examples of underdogs from the Scripture and uh, different people that looked like they were down and out, but then the Lord raised them back up. And so we looked at David. They looked at, uh, I believe they looked at Esther. They looked at Noah. They looked at uh, a lame man. They looked at a woman at the well. And uh, today we're going to be doing that same thing as adults. We're going to be looking at an underdog, a man whose name was Lazarus. And we're only going to be talking about Lazarus just a tiny bit. Uh, the other person that's referenced in this story tends to be the person that that kind of stands out in the portion of Scripture that we're about to look at. But as we look at it, and I'm going to explain what's meant by this in just a moment, we're going to be talking about this idea of repenting of unbelief. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. So if you would grab a Bible, they're right there in front of you. It'll be on page 876. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19 as we look at yet another example of an underdog, somebody that was obviously quite low that we could see that the Lord raised up. Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. And this is what it says, starting with verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. 
But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if somebody, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to gather together this morning to worship you, to study your word together, to enjoy seeing the learning that's taken place this week through the children. Lord, we're grateful for all of your blessings. We're grateful for the fact that you've revealed yourself to us. We're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to know you and to walk with you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we take a look at your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to know you and love you and desire to follow you. And even as we look at this idea of repenting of unbelief, we pray, Lord, that you'd clarify that in our minds and in our hearts so that we would understand it and actually live it out in our day-to-day context. So we commit this time to you now, Lord, and pray that you'd speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently, one of my children was talking to me uh, about the nature of our language. And he was talking about the fact that he thought it was rather odd that certain words are considered bad and other words are considered good. And so we discussed that concept for just a few minutes and then uh, we kind of you know, put a period on that thought. But the truth is there are certain words in our language that tend to elicit a reaction from us. And when speaking about spiritual issues, one of the words that definitely kind of draws a reaction out from us is the word repent. And I don't have any hard evidence to back this up. This is basically just gut feeling. But my gut feeling is that when most people hear that word, they tend to think of it more as a negative word. They tend to have like a a negative response to hearing the word repent because it's a word that demands that a change of some kind be made. So to repent, it might involve regret, it might involve remorse, uh, and if it's genuine, it's also going to involve a change in direction. Well, the Lord invites us, when we look throughout the Scriptures, the Lord invites us to be people who repent. We're encouraged to practice repentance as a regular feature of our growing faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when we first became aware of our need for salvation, we repented of our unbelief, And we stopped embracing the sin that we once idolized, and we began trusting in Christ. And as our relationship with Him continues, we're invited to continue to practice repentance every time we become conscious of sin or every time we become conscious of some area of unbelief in our day-to-day lives. It isn't dreadful to repent. It's joyful because we know that our Lord loves us. And he's eager to welcome us into his presence. God doesn't hate us when we make mistakes. I think sometimes people look at God as if he's just waiting for an excuse to be angry with us. And that's not the case at all. He doesn't hate us if we make mistakes. He understands that we will make mistakes over the course of our lives. And he loves us enough that he invites us to repent, that he invites us to return to him so that we can experience his cleansing. And as we're looking in Luke chapter 16 today, so we're looking at verses 19 to 31, in this portion of Scripture, this portion of Scripture reminds us of our need to repent of unbelief. And I want to show us four specific reasons why we should do so. 
And the first reason is this. So you don't idolize your earthly experience. Let me reread verses 19 uh, down to 21. It says, there was a rich man. So it's setting up this example. Jesus is giving this example to those that are gathered to hear him speak. And he says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now let's pause there for just a second. Uh, people throughout this world, you know, we're all living on the same exact planet, but the nature of our day-to-day experiences can often be quite different from one another. Meaning there are some people in this world who live with extreme wealth, and there are others who live on the brink of starvation. Uh, There are some people who dine in exclusive establishments quite regularly, and then there's plenty of others who will find their next meal in a dumpster behind a restaurant. Uh, In fact, uh, a friend of mine posted something online the other day. I may have seen it before. It might just be something similar. Uh, But apparently at a restaurant that he's familiar with, there was somebody that was uh, regularly eating from the dumpster, and they never saw the person do it because it would happen apparently in the middle of the night, but um, they could tell that somebody had been doing that. And so the owner decided to put a sign out and let them know who, it's like, listen, whoever's eating from this dumpster, please come in and get a meal. You're a human being. Come in and get a meal. We won't make a big fuss about it. We won't embarrass you. Just come in and eat so that you don't have to keep doing that. I have no idea what the, the rest of the story is if the guy took him up on it, but the owner of the restaurant at least offered it. There are some people, they'll, they'll dine in exclusive establishments. Some people get their next meal from a dumpster. And at the time that Jesus was giving this example, when he was telling this story to the group gathered around him, this was an era when the Roman Empire ruled the world. They were the world's superpower at that particular time. And economically speaking, the Roman Empire didn't really have a middle class. You know, in our kind of context, we get to enjoy what we refer to as the middle class. Uh, but in, in the, the Roman Empire, you basically had people that were either extremely wealthy or you had people who were extremely poor. So if you were wealthy, you could enjoy the finer things of life. You could have a very comfortable existence during that era. And while you were doing that, it could also become very, very easy to forget about the suffering of others because it wasn't part of your day-to-day experience. And as Jesus was telling this particular story, as he's giving this example in that kind of context, some of the people, when you look earlier in Luke, when you look earlier even in this chapter and in the chapter before, some of the people that were listening to Jesus give this example were part of a group called the Pharisees. Now, if you're not familiar with what a Pharisee was, the Pharisees were a strict religious sect of Judaism, and they had a lot of rules, they had a lot of expectations, they had a lot of hoops that you had to jump through if you were going to be a Pharisee, and there were only a limited amount of Pharisees at any particular time. And one of the things that you can see from the Gospels is that the Pharisees, by and large, hated Jesus. They hated him. And they usually tried to find some way of bringing accusation against him by either twisting what he said or by listening for him to say something that maybe they could use against him in regard to the governmental authorities, that they could quote him and that there would be witnesses and that they could tell on him to the government. We also know about the Pharisees that they love money. 
They absolutely loved money. They loved money more than most things on this earth. And it could certainly be argued that they also loved money more than they loved God, even though they gave the outward appearance of being highly devoted to God. And in the story that Jesus was telling here, he speaks about this rich man who lives in great luxury. This man, we're told, he enjoyed fine linen. He enjoyed uh, fine clothing. It tells us that his clothing, you know, he was clothed in purple and fine linen. It's funny, a, a few weeks ago I, I wore a shirt that, uh, that was purple. And uh, my sons looked at me that Sunday morning as I was leaving the house and they're like, that's not a color we see on you often, Dad. And I was like, what? I, I like this shirt. It looks good. And they're like, purple? And I had to justify wearing that purple shirt. And I was like, what? It's fine. And they're like, I don't, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't wear it. It's like, well, fine. And two of you said something nice about that purple shirt in their hearing. And I felt validated. You know, and apparently, if you just go back a couple thousand years, you know, it's a sign of wealth, not the sign of spending $12 at Boscov's. Back then, if you wore purple clothing, it was a sign of wealth. And this man, you know, here he's wearing, you know, um, fine clothing, purple, in fact, eating fine food. And I even noticed, and this is kind of subtle, but I imagine that he must have lived in a nice home because it tells us that his home had a gate. So if your home had a gate, even in our culture right now, if your home has a gate, right, and it's not just like your fence, right, if your home has a gate, a legitimate gate, it's probably a sign it's a pretty nice home. And that man, that rich man, he couldn't have been more different than Lazarus, who's described in this passage. Lazarus is, we're told he was very poor. He was starving. It even tells us, and this is kind of like the gross-out part of this portion of Scripture, but it tells us that he was covered in sores, and he was essentially swarmed by wild dogs that would just lick the salty pus off his sores like scavengers. And that's what his day-to-day -day life was like. So there's very much a contrast between this rich man and this poor man, Lazarus. And let me say this about the rich man and his faith. I think sometimes we could look at that and say, all right, the rich man had no faith. But I actually think the rich man had plenty of faith. And what I mean by that is this. He had plenty of faith, but his faith was misplaced, meaning he trusted in himself and he trusted in his wealth. But when it came to the Lord, he had no faith in regard to the Lord. He did not believe in the Lord. He idolized the comforts of his earthly experience to the point where it didn't even seem to trouble him that Lazarus, a man sitting right there at the gate of his home, was suffering and was in great need and was willing to eat even just the scraps from this rich man's table if he would be willing to offer it. But it didn't seem to trouble this rich man that this was taking place. And so basically these opening verses, what are they doing? You have Jesus setting this story up to attempt to help us to see right away that it's better to repent of our unbelief than it is to spend our lives idolizing our earthly riches and idolizing our earthly experiences. So that's the setting that Jesus gives to us in this passage. And then he shows us another reason why it's important that we repent of unbelief if it's in our lives, and that's this. So we don't forget that our future is at stake. Let me read again verses 22 to 24. Look at what they say. It says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, 
he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now let's pause there. Now, this is going to sound morbid, and I'll admit that right off the bat. And I've brought this up before, so you could tell that it's something that I think about. But have you ever wondered how long you'll live? Do you ever let your mind go there, or do you prefer not to think about that stuff? I, I imagine that it does sound probably kind of morbid to think about that. And uh, even from the time I was young, this is the second morbid part of this. <laughs> but from the time I was young, I've never assumed that I would get be one of those pe- people that get, uh, is privileged with living a long time. I don't know if I'm right or if I'm wrong about that, but I've always assumed I probably will not be one of those people that gets to live a real long time. Uh, On one side of my family, it seems like my relatives, they all seem to pass away rather young. Now, the other side of my family has some examples of some decent longevity. So I don't know if I'll go one way or another, or if I'll be somewhere in between and just be average. I have no idea. But it's something that I've thought about, and I bet you all of us have probably thought about that to one degree or another, but it comes back to my mind. And even though I fully admit that that can be a little bit morbid to let myself think about things like that, I can think of at least one benefit that has come from allowing that to regularly cross my mind. And the benefit is this. It's a reminder to me that time passes quickly. And the vast majority of my existence is going to to take place after my earthly life is complete. The vast majority of my life, the vast majority of my living is going to take place after my earthly life is finished. I have a future that is beyond my day-to-day experience that I'm used to right now. And so since that's the case, I think it would be foolish for me not to prepare for it. And when you look at this passage of Scripture... You have Jesus here telling us about what happened to this rich man and what happened to Lazarus after their time on this earth concluded. You have Lazarus, who's carried by the angels to paradise, and it's referred to here as the place of Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, it's said in some translations. So the rich man is carried by the angels to heaven. That's what it's referencing here. The rich man, who spent his life worshiping himself and spent his life worshiping his wealth, He went to a place of eternal torment that's referenced in this passage as Hades. And it tells us that he was in anguish there and even saw a drop of water from Lazarus as relief, which I think when you look at a portion of scripture like this is rather ironic because during the course of their earthly lives, Lazarus waited outside his gate just for a crumb of food. And it gives us the impression that this rich man wasn't even concerned with giving Lazarus a crumb of food. But now here he is wanting just a drop of water to cool his tongue in the midst of his anguish. Why do you suppose Jesus gave us such a vivid picture of what comes next after our time on this earth is complete? Why would he give us a picture like this? I think one of the reasons that he did so was so that we don't forget that right now we live in a portion of time where our future is at stake. My future is at stake. Your future is at stake. Meaning, if we spend this life ignorant of Christ and unreceptive to his offer of salvation, 
and completely disinterested in what comes next, we can be certain that we will experience the outcome that Christ warns us about in this passage. But if we welcome Christ into our lives, if we receive the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sin that He offers, if we repent of our unbelief, we can be certain that we will have a future that is one of delight forever in His kingdom. If we trust in Jesus Christ, our life will never end. It will be in His presence for all time. I love what it says in Romans 6.23. It tells us this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God offered to us as we trust in Him. And so this scripture, Jesus continues to speak, and he's giving us more and more reasons to repent of our unbelief. But the other thing that he talks about here, or one other thing he talks about here, is the idea that so good things don't keep us from experiencing great things. Look at what he says in verse 25 and verse 26. He says, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. Have you ever considered just how blessed we are to live when and where we live? So living here in the southeast corner of Pennsylvania, I didn't grow up here in the southeast corner of Pennsylvania. I grew up in the northeast corner of Pennsylvania, uh, but became acquainted with this area when I went to college in this area and have spent the past decade now also, so I guess I've spent 14 years of my life living here in southeast Pennsylvania. And I think this area is beautiful. I recognize we also have people from the southwest corner of Pennsylvania that are here. We have some folks here today from the northeast corner of Pennsylvania. We, are, we have some people from New Jersey. We have some people from central PA. We also have some people from uh, near Buffalo, New York. And there's redeeming aspects of all of these areas. We have some folks that were just in California a few days ago. And I often think about... Um, you know, I've been a lot of different places, and I've, I've, I've visited a couple different countries, but I'm often mindful of the fact, just as we drive around Bucks County here, this is a nice area. It, this is, it's a very nice area. I like how it's laid out. I think it's beautiful. I think there's a lot of nice things here. And so I try to not take it for granted. And I think that, you know, if the Lord has, has blessed us with a nice place to live and a nice area to live in, and, and nice people to be around, and, and all sorts of other gifts and blessings that He's bestowed upon us. How should we feel about those blessings? Should we feel guilty about those blessings? Should we feel grateful for those blessings? Or should we feel something else about them? And I ask that because when we come to know Christ, when He becomes Lord of our lives, he changes how we see things. We start to see things very differently. He grants us a brand new perspective. He grants us a brand new worldview. The Holy Spirit transforms and He renews our thinking so that we can start seeing things like God sees things. And He helps us to recognize that as good as some of the Lord's earthly blessings may be, 
there are greater things in store for those who believe. So all the things that you and I enjoy right now, even a, a nice community to live in, these are things we can appreciate. But keep in mind, there are greater things in store for those who believe. And when we repent of our unbelief, this becomes clearer to us. We start seeing the good things of this world for what they really are. Temporary blessings that should be utilized to glorify God, to help others, and to enjoy without being worshipped. Because there are much greater things in store for those who trust in Jesus Christ. I love what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Isn't that a great verse? And even as I'm staring at this, I'm seeing the goalposts around it. I feel like I should read that verse and immediately be like, yes, right here, right? This is like point, points as though, you know, for those who believe, you know, field goal right here. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. It's good. It's good, right? What a gift from God. And what he's saying is, listen, you can enjoy the good things that I've given you here on earth, but don't lose sight of the great things that are yet to come. There's no good thing on this earth that compares with the great things that the Lord has in store for those who believe in Him. And sometimes, you know, particularly if we just hold on to our unbelief and choose not to repent of it, what ends up happening is we look at the good things and we think this is all there is. And instead of utilizing them to glorify God and benefit others and enjoy them, we end up worshiping them. And the Lord says, no, that's not why I gave you those things. I gave you those things so you could glorify me, help others, and enjoy them. Don't worship what I bless you with. The Lord invites us to worship Him. And He reminds us He's got much better than what we've already seen in store for those who trust Him. There's one other thing that Jesus brings out in this passage that I want to point out for us, and that's this. We should repent of our unbelief so we don't tune out what we need to hear most. Look at verse 27 down to verse 31. He says this, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. When I was growing up, I had the privilege to listen to a lot of sermons. The men who pastored my home church, they did a great job of sharing the scriptures. They did a great job of pointing us to Jesus Christ as they, as they spoke. And I will admit that some messages were better than others, and I'll also admit that I would be lying if I didn't confess that now and then, sometimes during a message, I would just subtly, you know, look down at my watch and uh, be like, all right, he usually winds it up around this particular time, all right, we've probably got about five minutes, all right, nope, he's looking chatty today, all right, maybe about seven minutes, nope, maybe about 20 minutes, what's it go going to be? And you know what I've discovered as a pastor? I didn't realize this before I was a pastor, but I know it now. The pastor sees you when you look at your watch. <laughs> I see every time. I see every time. Or now it's the smartphone, right? It's like, uh. all right. No, I'm just taking notes on my phone, pastor. What are you talking about? 
Um, but yeah, you know, as the pastors would go on, sometimes I was more engaged with the messages, sometimes I wasn't. But overall, I'm really grateful that they preached the Word of God, that they taught us the Scriptures, they pointed us to Christ. I was grateful that I had the privilege to be part of a church that was faithful to the Word of God. And I bring that up because when you look at this portion of Scripture, the rich man in this portion of Scripture, he clearly did not heed the counsel of God's Word. If Christ was referring to an actual person in this passage. And by the way, I think there's good reason to think that this isn't just a a hypothetical example. Typically, when Jesus was giving these examples and these parables, a lot of times I believe he was using hypothetical uh, circumstances. But in this particular circumstance, I believe it's the only parable where he uses the name of an individual, where he references Lazarus. He doesn't use the rich man's name, but he references Lazarus's name. This, by the way, is the, a different Lazarus from the one that, that Christ raised up from the dead. Um, but I, I, I don't believe these are hypothetical examples in this context. I actually think that these very well may be real individuals that Christ is referencing here. And it seems likely that the, the rich man that he's referencing here uh, lived in a context where hearing the Scriptures and where learning what they meant was an option for him. Right? We're told that, that he asked that someone go back to his father's house to warn his brothers of what comes next for those who do not believe. And Abraham reminds him here that they had access to God's word. Right? He says, look, they could read the books of Moses. They could read the prophets. What he's saying, we tend to refer to that section now as the Old Testament. But prior to the New Testament being written, they didn't call it the Old Testament yet. They just referred to it as Moses and the prophets. And you have Abraham saying, listen, they could read Moses and the prophets. They could look at Moses and the prophets. And they could heed the teaching of the Scriptures. But the man protested, right? And and basically indicated that he feared that his family would continue tuning out the teaching of God's Word, just like he had. So he requested that someone return from the dead to tell them. But as we know, if someone won't heed the teaching of Scripture, they also won't be convinced by someone rising from the dead. And this became particularly clear after Christ's resurrection, when Christ proved that He was God in the flesh, when He proved it by defeating the power of sin and defeating the power of Satan and defeating the power of death. And yet there were those in that context who knew for a fact that Jesus rose from death and still chose not to believe in Him and in fact also tried to convince others that He didn't rise from death. Now all that to say... When we look at a scripture like this today, you know, as it gives us a great example of an underdog, somebody that was clearly behind, you know, Lazarus being clearly, you know, dealing with a lot of difficulties during the course of his life that Jesus raised up, you know, the Lord raised him up. We look at a portion of scripture like this, there are obviously several lessons I think we can glean from it. But basically, if we want to summarize it, I think it's telling us this, we live in the midst of a brief window of time where the Lord is giving us a great privilege. And it's the privilege to repent of our unbelief. We're given the alternative to worshiping ourselves and to worshiping what we've been given. We have Jesus who is offering us forgiveness. We have Jesus who is offering us life everlasting in His kingdom if we'll simply trust in Him. And likewise, He grants us divine understanding to identify areas of unbelief in our life even after we've trusted in him he helps us to wrestle through these things he gives us his perspective he transforms the way that we think so let me ask this as we finish up this morning 
Where have you placed your faith? Just answer that in your mind. Answer that in your heart. Where currently have you placed your faith? Or maybe I could ask it this way. What are you trusting to comfort your heart when you're grieving? What are you trusting to give your life meaning and to satisfy your soul? You know, where is your faith placed? Christ has offered Himself to us. And He's invited us to walk daily with Him by faith so we don't make the mistake of idolizing our earthly experience. So we don't forget that our future is at stake. So we don't let good things take the place of great things. So we don't tune out what He's been prodding our hearts to hear. We live in this brief window where we have the opportunity to decide. Do I heed Your voice, Lord, and welcome You into my life? Do I turn myself over to You and receive the gift of Your salvation and forgiveness? Or do I go my own way as if You've never attempted to even speak to me? And that's the dilemma that we all have. That's the dilemma that every person on the face of this earth is facing. But we can rejoice that those who trust in Jesus Christ are assured a future in His presence that He guarantees and He illustrates for us. And He does this because He wants it for us. He wants you and I to experience the blessing that He's secured for us. He invites us to trust in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to come together today after a very fun week of kids camp and just thinking about these underdogs, these individuals that were in a low season that You lifted up. But Lord, we're very much like them. Even, even as we look at this portion of Scripture and we see this rich man that is unnamed in this passage, and then Lazarus, who during the course of his life really at least in, in the segment of his life that's described here, it doesn't seem like he had a very easy go of it. Lord, you know what our day-to-day experiences are like. Lord, you know the difficult things that we face, the things that kind of linger in our minds, the things that we wrestle with in our day-to-day lives. And you give us a portion of Scripture like this that reminds us that there's something better in store. For those who trust in you, there's something better in store. Even if everything in our life right now was, was as great as this earth can offer, there's still something greater in store for those who know you. So Lord, I pray for every adult that's up here. I pray for every child that's downstairs that we wouldn't be like the rich man described in this passage and that we wouldn't be like the family of that rich man that just became so adept at tuning you out. Lord, help us to hear Help us to know You. Help us to live life in such a way that we don't make the mistake of thinking that You're distant from us, Lord. You're right here with us. Lord, thank You for Your willingness to lift us up. We know, Lord, that You accomplished on our behalf what we could never accomplish. You came to this earth. You lived the perfect life. You died on the cross to pay for our sin. You rose from the grave on the third day to defeat sin, Satan, and death. And You look at us with love and compassion in your eyes. And you offer us the gift that you paid for. 
simply by trusting in You. Lord Jesus, we thank You we don't have to earn the gift that You have paid for. You already paid for it. You offer it to us freely because it's paid for with Your blood. So Lord, we pray that we'd receive it and that we would walk joyfully with You each and every day. And Lord, regardless of whatever our circumstances may be, remind us of the hope that Your Scripture illustrates in so many ways that You have greater things in store for all who believe. So Lord, if this is a tough day for someone, if this is a tough week, if this is a tough month, whatever it may be, help us to keep it in mind that You have greater things in store for those who believe. That any circumstance we deal with right now is just for a moment. A brief little season, and it'll be done. So thank You, Lord, for these reminders from Your Word today. Help us to walk with You faithfully in every context of life. We commit ourselves to You now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.